Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. It's great to have you here, and uh, we want to continue our series in 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 4 again. We're going to be just at the beginning of that. So, a lot of you guys know, Pastor David and I love to take groups on the Journeys of Paul trip or to Israel, and, and uh, in fact, we've got an Israel trip coming up in November. If you have interest in that, just contact my office here at the church. We'd love to give you information about that. We leave the Sunday after Thanksgiving and uh, do a nine or 10 day trip right after that and love to, to take you to Israel. It's one of my joys. But a couple years ago, maybe 18 months ago, we were taking a trip to Israel and Jared, who's a young adult here in our church, uh, reached out to me. He knew we were going to Israel and he and his family had been on the previous trip to, with us to Israel. And he reached out to me and he said, hey, Danny, I want to buy a present for my mom and dad, a piece of jewelry but I don't want to go to, I can't go to Israel this time. I'm wondering if you would do it for me. Uh, I'll pay for it, but you go buy it and bring it back for me. And Jared's such a nice guy. I just, I didn't have the heart to say no, you know, that kind of thing. And, and what Jared didn't know about me is I'm not a very good mule. Okay. I don't, I'm not a delivery person. In fact, my staff or my family can tell you, if you want to get something to somebody in my family or my parents or my in-laws or something, don't give it to Danny to give to them. The only thing I am really trustworthy with is if you give me your check to First Baptist Orlando to deliver. I can do that one. But anything else, somehow I have a hard time keeping track of it. In fact, if it wasn't for Betsy helping me, I probably would have shown up today without shoes, a belt, and glasses because I don't know where they are. Like, where are those? And, and so, but I didn't have the heart to tell Jared no. And so I did it. And the end of the story is I got back with the jewelry. He paid me. It's all settled. Every, his mom and dad are really happy. He's happy and I'm happy because I did it. It was hard. I was like really nervous the whole time. The, the backpack it's in. I'm checking it every day. Is it still there? And all that stuff because it's just different when you're carrying something that belongs to somebody else. And I don't want to, what if I lose it? And then he paid for it already. And, it, I, and I wanted to make sure they got it. And by the way, I had to pick it out. He didn't, I mean, it was like, look at all of them. Tell me, pick the one you like the best. Like, what? Are you kidding me? But I did. And they're happy. Thank God, they're happy. But I learned something about myself that trip, that experience. And that is that I don't think I'd make a very good one of these. I, I just... I don't think, I think it'd be too stressful for me. I've got stuff that belongs to somebody else and I'm supposed to deliver it and I just don't know how I do it that. But in this passage that we're going to read this morning, this is kind of what Paul was saying in a simple way. Obviously, it's more profound what he's describing, but he's really describing someone like this. And here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. It's almost as though Paul is saying, when he says this stewards of the mysteries of God, it's almost like he's saying, my job title 
is I'm a steward of the mystery of God. That's my job title. I would say it, I'm a deliverer for Amazon. I like, I drive a delivery truck. That's what I do. Because he is saying in this, in this, in these, these words, we're the delivery method, but we're not the gift giver, right? You don't ever send a thank you note. Well, not, maybe not ever, but it's not common to send a thank you note to the, the, the Amazon driver for something that you got. You send it to the person that sent you the gift if you got a gift that way, right? The driver isn't the one that had, it's responsible for the gift. They're just responsible for the delivery of the gift. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's not the source of grace, but he's the dispenser of it. And he's saying that about us. The grace doesn't come from us. It's God's grace that we're delivering. But, but it is our job to be the ones that deliver it. This term, mysteries of God, there's a lot of different terms Paul uses to describe the same thing. This is what he's really describing here is what we would call the gospel, the good news of Jesus. But he uses the term mysteries of God. We don't know for sure why he used the term, but it's probable that he used the term because this was a common phrase or a common idea with the pagan culture in Corinth. And he's trying to relate to the pagan culture in, in Corinth. And he's drawing a very clear distinction between what the pagans are experiencing and the way they practice their religion and the way Christians should. And here's the distinction. In pagan culture, the priest and the people involved in those faiths, everything was a secret. You didn't share the secrets of God. You would never share the mysteries of God. You would hoard it. You would keep it for yourself. You would guard the mysteries. We're not going to tell people about it. And Paul's saying the exact opposite. He's saying, we're not here to guard the mysteries of God. We're here to steward the mysteries of God and deliver it to you. We're, we're you know, like parents. Pastor David said last week, we're, we're fathers is what we want to be using our relationship. We're, you could also say we're guides, or, but we're not guards. We're not guarding the, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus. We're delivering the good news of Jesus. And it's how, how Paul is making. So two points he's making with steward. One is a steward doesn't, they're not delivering something that belongs to them. They're delivering something that belongs to somebody else. And he's saying we're delivering the mysteries of God. We're not like the pagans who are trying to hide it and guard it. We're not trying to keep it a secret. We're trying to tell people the good news, tell everyone the good news of Jesus. And so how do we steward? What does it mean to steward, to care for, like I cared for something when I bought that jewelry for Jared's parents and I, I cared for it. I was a steward of that jewelry. I cared for it and delivered it. Paul was, was taking, actually he was taking something from Israel too the good news of Jesus, and he was delivering it to a pagan culture. And it's exactly what we do. We steward the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's in our care. And where we go, as Tyler was saying, where we go when we're not here, where we live, work, and play, we carry the gospel with us, and we, we steward the mysteries of God. In a lot of ways, the way Christians take care of things, the way Jesus followers take care of things, and the way people who aren't followers take care of things, things are very similar. 
Like you can't tell Christians by the way we keep our houses or our lawns or our cars or even always by the way we work and things like that. There's a lot of, it's, it's uh, universal the way people care for things in many ways. But there are some ways that I think as you, as you pay attention to the way believers um, steward and care for things, there are some ways that Christians are distinct. We do things that are different, that are counter to culture, counter to common sense. It's not conventional wisdom. And, and, you know, the way we steward our suffering, knowing that it is something that God has sent our way or that there's allowing us to walk through, stewarding that is a way we're distinct, the way we steward our time. But today I want to talk about two other places where we steward, two other ways that we steward that are distinct from the way um, people who are not followers. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and this term stewards of the mysteries of God and one of the ways that we faithfully steward the mysteries of God is that we steward our influence. We, our influence is what we steward. We use it to help others. So the Apostle Paul in verse 17 of this, actually 14 to 17 of this same passage, Pastor David read it last week and, and going to go back to it again next week, but in 14 to 17, he talks about this, his own relationship of a spiritual father to the, the believers in Corinth. There are a lot of different uh, interpretations of that. One of them is that he is leveraging the influence that he has with them, the relationship that he has with them for their good because he's the one that delivered the gospel to them. He says, you're my dear children and, and through the gospel I became your father. So like they heard the story of Jesus from him. And Paul, here's the key, Paul is leveraging all of his influence to make things better for them, not to make things better for him. And believers, we leverage our influence to make others better. That's what we do that's distinct. It's not all about us. It's about helping other people. Today, there's this term influencer. You've heard that, right? Like on social media, everybody wants to be an influencer. They want to influence thousands of people. You know what? Many of you have learned it's better to influence a few people, make a difference in their lives. It's, it's, it's not about influencing thousands. It's about influencing few, but making a profound impact in their life. I heard or actually read that Chris Rock said recently, we used to want love. Now we just want likes. Right? And that's not the Jesus way. The Jesus way isn't looking for likes. The Jesus way is leveraging our influence to make others better. And I know you do that because I've been in this church for over 50 years and I've been a recipient of that love and care and influence on me. I've received that kind of influence and my life has been profoundly impacted because believers in our congregation and some outside our congregation have used their credibility, their influence in my life to make me better. They've given of their time more than anything else, but they've listened. They've been vulnerable with me. They've been available to me. They've been accessible and relatable where I can kind of learn from them. 
And my life has been profoundly affected by others. It begins with my mom and dad, of course, and my older brother. Mom and dad had a profound impact for me, but I was young when my dad started saying, you need to ask some other people who are wiser than you or are ahead of you in life. Ask them questions about what you need to do and what career to pursue and how to do things. And, and he would push me out. I, I, I know now, as I'm older, I was not easy to raise, and he needed all the help he could get. Like, let's get some people around him. I sat down this week, and my mom and dad and my older brother David had a huge impact on me, used their influence to make me better. It's the Jesus way. And then there's Miss Hawk, Mr. Skinner, there's Danny, and Rick Schiraus, and Rick Blythe and Carrick and Barbara Price, and Jim and Sandy, and Greg and Helen, and Dan and Vicky, and Mac and Lou, and Dale and Kathy, and Bob, and Gene, and Ken, and Frank, and John, and Ted, and Wally, and Jim, just to name a few. I could go on. All of these use their influence to make me better. It's the kind of people you are. You know, every Sunday we have many people that are serving in kids and students. We have like over 230 adults that serve in kids ministry every Sunday using their influence to make other people better. We have over 75 serving in student ministry every Sunday, 75 adults student, serving in student ministry every single Sunday, making other people's lives better, using all of their influence to do that. We over a over 85 life group leaders that every single week are using their influence to make other people's lives better. We have over 100 people that serve at Camp Orlando once a year to, to make other people's lives better. And we have over 250 adults that serve at Vacation Bible School every summer to help kids and make their lives better. You're a people who use your influence like the Apostle Paul did. He leveraged all of his influence to make other people's lives better. It's who you are. It's what you do. And I'm one of the beneficiaries of that investment. And you go, man, Danny, that's a pretty long list. Well, yeah, look what they're working with. It takes a lot of people. I was 21 years old when I first met Maurice. Maurice was introduced to me, and I knew him from a distance before I met him in person. And he had a, a profound experience where he met Christ. And when he did, he, he sold his business and he decided what he wanted to do is spend his rest of his life taking people to Israel and to the journeys of Paul and on Christian cruises. And he, he chartered back in the 80s, he chartered cruise ships, and he would hire Southern Gospel singing groups and, and invite pastors to come preach. And then he'd encourage Christians to come on those cruises, and they close the casinos and the bars serve all non-alcoholic beverages. And and, and he opened it and sold them out, and that's when I met him is when he was just starting that business. I was 21 years old. He was 51 years old. And just a few weeks ago, we took a group from our church on one of those Southern Gospel singing cruises called the Jubilee, actually called the Singing at Sea, it's called. We went on that cruise, and I had the chance to sit with Maurice all over again. I think I have a picture of him. That's me and Maurice. I'm 60. He's 90, and he's still investing in me. 
and he's still using all the influence that he has to make me better. It doesn't matter how young or old you are. Every one of us has the opportunity to use our influence to make the lives of other people better, to make others better, just like Paul was doing. We're not guarding the gospel. We're delivering the mysteries of God. Another way that we steward the mysteries of God is that we steward our money. It's really different the way we give, the way we steward money, and the way those who are not followers of Jesus steward money. In fact, you know, it said in that passage in, in 1 Corinthians 4, the first verse, it says that we're also servants of Christ. He uses this term. And we, those of us who follow Jesus, know that we are servants. That, that term that he uses there is different than in most of the time he uses that term, a different Greek word there. This one could mean also representative, but it's definitely a, that we're subordinate to Jesus. And those of us who follow Jesus know that. We are subordinate to Jesus. We have a king, and his name is Jesus. Jesus didn't say, invite me. He didn't say, include me. He said, follow me. That means turning from our way and following Jesus' way. It's not, there's no options here. And those of us who follow Jesus know that he tells us to give. And in fact, I would say, if, you're, if you say you're a follower of Jesus and you don't give, something's wrong. All followers of Jesus are giving because that's what it means to follow. Jesus came to give and to serve, and that's what we do. And so we steward our money differently. In chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, the same letter, we'll get to it in a few months, Paul actually says something to the Corinthian church. Now, he doesn't do it early in the letter, but at the end, the last chapter, he says to them, he's given them preparation for greetings, and he says this, hey, I'm coming to see you, but start saving your offering now because I'm going to collect it when I come to see you. So every week when you gather, set aside so that you can give when I get there. And then in 2 Corinthians, the next letter, after he's made the visit, he commends them. Chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, one of the most beautiful descriptions Paul gives to this same church, saying, I asked you to be ready, and man, were you ready. And in one of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 9, 11, and here's what it says. He says to this church, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And that's what Paul saw happen to the church at Corinth, and it's what I've seen happen in you. One of the favorite things about my job is to be able to see how God is using you to produce thanksgiving to Him in others. You're using, you're leveraging all of your money, not just some of your money, you're leveraging all of your money to help others, to get the good news out, to distribute the mysteries of God, to reveal, not conceal, the mysteries of God. You love to give your first money. To God. You love to do your best for God, and you love to give more to God. You are some of the most generous people in the world right here at First Orlando. I know, and I know you could be driving better cars. You could be living in bigger houses. You could be taking better vacations, staying longer, nicer hotels. You could be wearing better clothes 
You could be traveling more, enjoying bigger bank accounts. You could be doing all of that, but you don't because you obey Jesus, and you give, and you give generously. Let me say a word to, to those who might be joining us today, maybe on the stream or maybe even here in person, and you're, you're still not a follower of Jesus. You've come to ask questions, and you're kind of curious, and, and I want to tell you, you've come to the right place. It's okay to ask questions, and it's okay to be here and not be a follower yet, to, to try to, to discern what it is Jesus is saying to you and what it means to follow Him. You're in the right place. And I don't want you to feel bad because we're talking about money. It's okay. Those of us who follow Jesus, we love talking about money because it demonstrates our love for Jesus. And we want to give first and our best and more all the time. So don't feel badly. And I I don't want to say you shouldn't give because there's a part of me that wants you, even if you're not a follower, to experience the blessing of giving because it brings incredible joy to do it. So if you want to give, give. But I also don't want you to feel like we expect people who aren't followers to act like followers. And it's okay if you don't want to give. But those of us who follow Jesus, we know we serve a king, and we're doing what he told us to do. And you are doing it, and you're making a huge impact because of what you're doing. You know, there are two kinds of people. Well, there are more than two kinds, but at least two kinds of people. There are buyers and they are givers. There are people who use their money to get something for themselves, and there are people who steward their money to help other people. And that's who you are. You steward your resources. You steward your money to help other people. You're not giving to get. You're not saying, I'm going to give so I'll get something back. No. You're getting to give. You're getting the money you get so that you can give. And the more you get, the more you give. It's who you are. And it's who you've been for a very, very long time. This past year, It's been an incredible season for us in giving. We gave over, excuse me, almost $900,000 to for Orlando over and above our regular giving. We're in the midst of giving that money away. And in another couple weekends, I think we're going to give away some more money to one of our ministry partners. It's incredible what you've done. Just on one Sunday, how can we bless our community? And you gave almost $900,000. In addition to that, again, over and above our regular giving, a piece of property became available in Horizon West where we can put a new campus there, and we felt like it was the right piece of property, but it was expensive, six and a half million dollars, and we didn't have the time or or ability to come ask the whole church, so we went to 25 of our lead giving families and said, would you guys help us do this? We don't want to go in debt for it, but we really feel like God's asked us to to buy this piece of property. And those families gave six and a half million dollars in cash, and we paid and bought for the uh, pe- bought and paid for the property. <laughs> Over and above everything else that we're doing, because of your giving. Daily and weekly, we're seeing people come to Christ, just like the baptisms today. It's incredible. We have a 35% increase in the people attending all of our campuses here at John Young and our other campuses, 35% year-over-year increase. We have over 6,500 adults attending every weekend. We have over 1,000 kids attending every weekend and over 350 students. So, by the way, that 1,350 means we need more adults to leverage their influence for the generations that follow. 
Even this past Tuesday, I got the chance to spend time with our young adult ministry that they gather on Tuesday, about 150 young adults who gathered. And this Tuesday, at the end of our time together, they were commissioning a group of missionaries who are going to serve uh, for like eight or nine days in a city that uh, religious freedom does not exist. Christians are persecuted there. I can't tell you the name of the city except to say it's in Central Asia, but they're going on mission. I think we have a picture of us praying for them at the end of our time. They're taking their own vacation time, leveraging, stewarding their own money to be able to go on mission and deliver the good news of Jesus. And part of their trip is paid for by your giving, helping them go and carry, not, not guard, but deliver the good news of Jesus. Something really, really neat is happening in our city too. You know, we're still the retirement capital of the world. You know that, right? Like more seniors come here than anywhere, Central Florida even so. And right now, the way population is in Central Florida, listen to this. We have about equal number of people that are 18 and under and, and over 60. And it's about 25% in each group. So half of our population is 18 and under and 60 and over. And they're both incredible mission fields for us to reach. And we're committed to reach them all. And by the way, we're committed to reach all those in the middle as well. But to have those pockets of influence where we can make a difference, we can reach them. We want to make some improvements to our adult life group space, and we want to make some significant improvements to our student spaces so that we have a place where, where kids can learn, students can learn about Jesus in an age-appropriate environment. We want to split middle school and high school so that they have separate environments uh, to learn in on Sunday mornings. I think we actually have some uh, pictures of what we're going to do to Faith Hall, the building that's just in the back there. That's looking from the pond. Another one looking from the back of the auditorium over to Faith Hall. And then a few pictures. This is the lobby there with a little new cafe that we'll put in. This is looking the other direction. And then some of the classrooms that we're looking to do. And what it takes for us to get there, we've done fantastic so far, but about 10% more giving than what we're doing right now. Just about 10% more. And we'll be able to do everything God has put in our hearts to do. For us to be able to steward our influence. And for us to be able to do what? To steward our money. To deliver the gospel to others. It's what, it's what you've always done. It's what we've always done. Do you know, I have a lot of peers in ministry that I talk to regularly. And they're a lot of churches across the country, even across the world, but especially in the United States, there are a lot of churches that are, they're, they are all young people in the church. They're new, they're growing, but it's all young people. There's almost nobody over 40 years old in the church. And the church is lacking because they don't have the, the wisdom of age and experience to help them navigate the challenges of what they're doing at church. And then there's a, even more churches, way more churches, that it's all old people in the church and there are no young people. Everybody in the church is over 65 or sometimes over 75. And they have no young people in the church. In our church, this is a very unique and special place. Do you know we have seven different generations reflected in our church body? We have them from birth to 100 and something. I don't know exactly how old they get, but they get old. None of them are born less than at zero, right? But all of them uh, within all of those age groups we have people here. 
the best gift you can give somebody that's 60 is that there's a generation behind me to reach, to give to, to support, to deliver the gospel, to, to steward my influence and steward my money. Because it's really not mine. My influence and my money is not mine. It's his. I'm just a steward of it. And the greatest gift you can give to a young person is the, the benefit of age and some wisdom and resources and time. If I can issue a, a gentle challenge to those who are over 50, don't check out. There's so much to do and so many people that can benefit from your wisdom. Invest in the next generations behind you. Find people in small groups or in one-on-one -on -one that you can invest in and use your influence to make them better. It's who we are. It's what we've done. In 1969, Orlando was a pretty different place than what it is today. In 1969, the number one challenge for churches in 1969 was a, a people who were here uh, in our community that we call hippies. Some of you, I think, were hippies in 1969. And because of the climate here in Orlando, there were a lot of hippies in Orlando, like a lot. And the biggest challenge that churches had, that hippie coming to church was disruptive. It messed them up because a lot of times they didn't dress right for church, like they had on old jeans and holes in them, probably no shoes on or sandals. They, they were living a lot on the street, so they weren't bathed, and their hair was long. It was, the girls were not dressed modestly, and most of the churches, even in central Florida, most of the churches had people at the door for real to make sure the hippies didn't come in because, God forbid, somebody that looked and smelled like that, somebody with alcohol in their breath or drugs in their system, we don't want them in church. Let's make sure we don't let them in here. But not this place. The people of this church, they had a burden for what was happening. And their heart broke for the brokenness they saw in the lives of these hippies. And they decided rather than put somebody at the door to block the entrance and to guard the gospel, they decided to hire somebody. To hire a guy to reach the hippies. Like, how are we going to do it? We don't know, but we're, we're so burdened to reach the hippies in our city that we're going to hire somebody and make it his job to reach them. And you know how I know that? Because the person that they hired is my daddy. He's still alive today. He's in the first service, actually, today. And I hired my dad to reach the hippies, and he started a, a coffee house. It was a thing back in the late 60s and 70s. It was called the Good Thief Coffee House. And hippies would come in there, and they'd hear the story of Jesus, and they'd make friends with people who were followers of Jesus. And these followers of Jesus were carefully stewarding the mysteries of God and delivering to people who were in desperate need for the good news. They were leveraging all of their influence 
to help others. Those hippies didn't have any money. They didn't have any resources. They were nothing but an expense to the church, and the church loved spending all of the money they could, emptying the bank accounts, do whatever we got to do to reach the hippies of our city. First time I ever smelled alcohol was at our Sunday dinner table with my mom and dad and my siblings and two hippies my dad had brought home from church. I said, Dad, what's that smell? And he's been drinking. Oh, okay. And after lunch, he, he showed me these lines. He said, you see those lines on, that, on his arm? Those are track lines. First place I ever saw that was in my home. And then we had custom in our house, we'd take a Sunday afternoon nap, even with the hippies, laying on the sofa or the floor. And back then we had Sunday night church. My dad would round us up, my brother and I, and, and uh, the two or three hippies that would be there with us on Sunday afternoon. And we'd head back to the church building in time for Sunday night church about an hour beforehand. And my dad would send me and my brother, David, and, and the two or three hippies that would be with us and he'd say, hey, let's go pick up all the trash that's on the floor that was left this morning so the auditorium's clean when everybody gets here tonight. And me and the hippies and my brother would pick up all the trash, make a game out of it. He'd be barefooted, blue jeans, long hair, smell terrible. But they were experiencing the love of Jesus in a way that they had never seen it before. I can remember being at the coffee house. I have a particular memory of a lady named Mrs. Black. Her husband owned the funeral home that was behind the church. And they were delivering these sandwiches, like sandwiches cut in triangles like they do for funerals. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen those sandwiches at funerals like, right? And Miss um, Black, who was a very proper woman, she'd come into that coffee house delivering these sandwiches for the hippies to eat. And then I remember on Sundays, back on the Sundays, on Sunday nights, those same hippies who had eating sandwiches Mrs. Black brought to them. They'd be at the door. My dad would have them there holding the door open, barefooted, smelling like alcohol, tra track lines on their arms, saying, welcome to church. And me and my brother be right there with them. I can remember Miss Black calling their name. I saw you on Tuesday at the Good Thief. So glad you're here today. It's who we are. We're not guarding the gospel, we're delivering the gospel. And it's who we've been for at least since 1969. I think I, think I actually have a picture of Lake Eola, 1969. It looked a lot different back then than what it looks like today. But we're still the same people. And we're still doing the same thing. We're stewarding our influence. We're stewarding our money to deliver the gospel to others. And maybe this would be a season. Let's just give a little more to accomplish everything that God has put in our heart to do. Let's give our best. Let's give our first dollars. And let's give more than we've ever given before. Let's pray together. And God, that is our prayer today.
would you speak to each one of us and uh, help us to know exactly what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to respond in a way that's pleasing to you. May we be people just like our predecessors here at the church that do everything we can not to guard the gospel, but to deliver the gospel to others. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.